Well, good morning. I am KT. I'm the youth minister here at the Winsboro Church of Christ. And for those of you who don't know, I'll be preaching for the next couple of weeks as we await our new minister. And for the next couple of months, I want us to take a look at a series that I'm titling Church of Christ. Now with that, I don't want to necessarily get into the details of this is all the things that we believe and this is why we do every little thing that we've always done. But instead, I want us to take an honest look at both our individual self and us as a whole. Specifically for us as the Church of Christ here in Winsboro, though, not so much the Church of Christ and all the churches of Christ that are around, but more so about us, right? Take an individual and a personal, collective look at who we are and why we do what we do. So this morning, the first thing I've titled is Churches in a Building. Whoa. (laughs) Churches in a Building. Some of you may be thinking, oh goodness, where is he going with that? Some of you may be thinking, kind of looks like one, (laughs) right? But I'm here to tell you this morning, church is in a building. I want to start off by saying a story about uh, the time whenever I was working in college. And I was working for a grounds crew for an athletic, our athletic complex there at Louisiana Tech. And every morning I would have to go into this office for the secretary there and I'd have to sign this little piece of paper and say, when I, when I was signing into work, and then I'd go and I'd do my work, and I'd come back and I'd have to sign a little piece of paper again, saying when I was checking out. Some of you all used to use these old machines, right? They're called like time clocks or whatever, right? Or you take your little slip out, you punch your, your time in, and you put it in, you go work, and you come back and punch it in again, right? And that was this whole mentality of, I'm coming in to work, this is the place where I work, and I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do my work, Whenever I get done with my work, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go home and be myself and get to do all the things I want to do. And that's cool, and that works great for businesses, right? It's a good way for you to know how long your people have been working, but for us as a church, unfortunately, I think that culture, or at least that mindset, has kind of seeped in a little bit. See, with everything else in our culture, that's kind of how it works, right? If I'm at home, I'm at home. Oh boy, I'm at home. Find my chair, kick up my feet, right? Watch the game or at least sleep through it. But whenever I'm at work, I'm at work. I'm fully there, I'm working. Whenever I go to church, boy, that's whenever I'm a Christian. Now what I'm not saying is that this building is bad. I think it's wonderful. I don't know about y'all, but I'm pretty comfortable in here right now. It feels good. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that we have a building that we meet in weekly, multiple times a week, what I'm saying is it's a bad thing whenever our mindset becomes this is the only place that church happens. When our mindset becomes that this is, this is it. What I want to proclaim to you this morning is that our Christianity and us as a church, it doesn't stop whenever we leave those doors. There's no time clock on that wall. You don't punch back out. And I think we get that, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not preaching something new here. We understand it. And unfortunately, it keeps happening. And for many, including myself at times, church just becomes this place that we go to, this thing that we do, rather than a thing that we are together. We say, well, then who are we? If church isn't a building. If church isn't just something I go do, which I would say church isn't a building, that could be a whole different slew of titles for all of us, Right? Whatever it is that we place in that category. 
If that's not it, then who are we? My personal opinion, if we view our church as just a building, then our view of church is simply lacking. I think it's not good enough. I'm not saying it's completely bad. I'm saying that's a very limiting view of what church really, truly is. If church is something, has become something that we go to, we may have a problem. If, if a church is in a building, the question returns to, what is church? And that question, what is church, really hits on two things. Number one, it hits on identity, and number two, it hits on purpose. Now, I know it's early in the morning for a lot of us, so I'm not going to try to get too deep into it, even though this is a deep subject. What I want to do this morning is I want to clarify some things and simplify it a little bit. My goal is not to take this deep subject and completely rob it of all its depth by any means. Don't hear me wrong there. My intention is to take a step back, to move our magnifying glass back a little bit and say at the bare bones, what is church? Who are we? Why are we here? Not the nitty-gritty details of, oh, well, we come for our communion and our, our service, our song, all that stuff. No. Who are we, really? What is church, and who are we? 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, I believe fits on this perfectly. If you're in your Bibles, go ahead and follow along with me. <clears throat> Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want us to look at verse 9 one more time. Because I love this passage. In one verse, I believe that we have both our identity as a church and, and our purpose. I'll read it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I believe that one verse could be a sermon series right there, don't you? This is our identity we're talking about. Our identity is four things in this verse. He says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who we are. Do we get that? Let me read that again. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. That's us. Do we believe it? That's what church should be. That's what we are. That's what God says we are. But for some reason, it doesn't quite click all the time, right? For some reason, that's not the way we see it. We struggle because we look in the mirror and we say, mm, if the church is supposed to be all these things, I look in the mirror and I don't necessarily see any of those in myself. Church is supposed to be these things. I look around at my brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning and I say, oh boy, we're a rough bunch, right? We struggle with it because this is who God says we are. 
It's not who we think we are. I love what he says in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What he's saying is we did not become this on our own. This isn't something that we've earned. I'll tell you, that's hard for me to hear. My whole life I've been taught to go and earn and work hard. I've been taught that. Sure, I don't do it all the time. But I've been taught it. Work hard, earn respect, trust, whatever you got. Earn it. You have to earn it. God's saying, this is who you are, and it's not anything that you're doing. No, it's because I have given you mercy, he says. That's maybe where we have the big holdup here. God has made us as Christians in His church to be exactly this, a holy people. Priests and priestesses, ministers. You know, Gerald just retired, but you know, we still got 150 plus ministers here in this church. At least that's what God says. So we struggle. Not that we always look like what this is. It's not that we always look like these things, but that is exactly who God has called us to be and it's who He says that we are. And we struggle each and every day to look more and more like it. And that's, our, that's only our identity here. Oh boy, then we get into our purpose, right? Our purpose. Who are we? Why are we here? You know, whenever I was growing up, our preacher would always tell this story. He said that in preaching school, they like to tell the story of a guy who, he finished up preaching school and he was so excited to get out there and he was so excited to start preaching the word tell people about Jesus, and the first thing that he was tasked to do by the congregation he was at was he said, they said, you're going to go to this uh, psychiatric ward of this hospital, and you're going to preach to these people. He said, all right, well, he's going 110 miles an hour, and he's ready to roll. And he gets in there, and he starts talking, and his sermon that Sunday was on purpose. He kept asking the question, he kept saying, why are we here? He kept saying, why are we here? Some little lady chimes in, she goes, we're not all there. <laughs> but truly, why are we here? Both you personally and us as a collective, why, why are we here? Not just here at this building. Why do we claim to be a church? Why do we claim to be the church of Christ? Why is that what God says that we are? It's an extremely difficult question to answer. In fact, I believe it's so difficult that many in our culture take that exact question, why am I here and we decide not to answer it. We say, that's too hard for me. I'm going to step away and I'm not even going to try. I believe the first person to do this was a character called Baloo the Bear. Baloo the Bear, if you haven't seen Walt Disney's Jungle Book, I recommend it. Baloo the Bear is there and he meets this little man cub, they call him the little boy Mowgli, right? And he's this big, cuddly bear. He's just floating down the river and he's singing. Look for the bare necessities, right? i got to stop or else we'll get copyrighted probably. But He's singing and he's got this little kid on him and stuff and he's floating down the river and at one point he looks over his shoulder and he says, don't look at that bee buzzing around looking for answers that cannot be found. Don't be that bee buzzing around looking for answers that cannot be found. What he's saying is, Stop worrying yourself with deep questions. Why are you here? 
Eat, drink, be merry. Go do your thing. As my fourth grade teacher would say, you live, you pay taxes, you die, right? Saying, stop worrying about it. That's a tough question. You probably can't figure it out on your own anyway, so don't even think about it. And that's how we've taken, many, at least in our culture, have taken this idea of purpose. We say there is no purpose. Many are looking for purpose, and because they can't find it, they give up. But for us as Christians, God calls us to a purpose. He gives us that purpose in verse 9 again. I still love this verse. He's told us who we are exactly in the first half, and now he's going to tell us why we're here. He says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why we're here. On an individual and a collective level, this is it. To proclaim the excellencies of him that is God, who called you out of darkness that is sin and death into his marvelous light that is life. That's why we're here. I believe we get this and we've tried before, right? We've heard it all our life and we say, yeah, I get that. That's what I'm supposed to be here for. That's what I'm supposed to do. But we struggle. Whenever it becomes hard, we try to make it a little easier on ourselves. So we do the easier thing and that's whenever church becomes just a building. That's when these people that were called to love together, unfortunately, they just become people. I believe there are three key things, three key elements at the heart of the purpose, both of us as Christians individually, and more specifically, three key purposes for the church. That may be a little bit profound for us. In fact, you've actually heard them all your life probably, but I want you to hear these with new ears this morning. Suppose you're asking God one more time, God, why am I here? God, why are we here? And I imagine this is his answer. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Number three, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is God's plan for us. It's so simple, we teach our kids it all the time, right? But it's so simple that we lose sight of it because we like to muddy it up. We get into the details of life and that purpose that is so clear and defined becomes harder and harder to see. On a personal and individual level, I believe we struggle with this a lot. And we're not alone in that. In fact, Peter understood this. That's why, if you'll turn in your Bibles again, verse 11 of 1 Peter 2. That's why we close out our little reading for this. And he says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. He knows. He knows it's hard. 
It's that simple. Love God, love others, make disciples. But it's a challenge. I believe this struggle was even more illustrated by Paul in the book of Romans. If you would turn there, Romans chapter 7. Paul hits on something that we all can understand, I believe. Romans 7, starting in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, I know I'm supposed to do good, and I know what that looks like, and I want to do it. He says, and I know what bad is, and I know I shouldn't do it, and I, I hate it. But yet, when the moment comes, I don't choose the good, I choose the evil. He says it happens time and again, we keep reading verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now that one's hard. I don't know about you, but I like to think of myself as a decent person, right? I like to think that I have some sort of good in me. And I like to think that there's people in this world that have good in them. Paul, oh my goodness, if, he, if anyone can say that they have some good in them, it's him. It says verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he says, verse 24, Wretched man that I am. Do you hear the passion in that? The passion in the words that he just wrote? I know the good that I'm supposed to do, and I want to do it, but I can't. And I know what bad looks like and I hate it and I don't want to do it, but time and again I go back to it. We have this struggle. I believe it's the reason many leave the Christian faith. Because they become a Christian and they say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to choose to follow after God. I'm going to do the right thing. I know what it looks like. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it fully. And then they get to work. And they're challenged to fit in. They go to school. Nobody else is doing it. We struggle because we know we want to do this good, but yet we keep doing the sin, this evil that we hate. Maybe we have the, the courage, right? Maybe at one point we have the courage to step up and speak truth to somebody, but unfortunately, we forgot the love part. And then we find ourselves having to apologize for the truth that we said because we didn't say it in the right way. 
And so what happens? We go the easier road. We choose to make church just something that we go to rather than something that we are. This is a huge struggle, I believe, for the generation that's coming up now. I think it kind of extends to all of us, but more specifically them. You've probably heard it said, but God made me this, God made me this way. Because you take the idea that, yeah, God made you. You say, if God made me this way, and I have this desire to do something evil, but yet God's telling me if I do that thing that's evil, he's going to punish me. But he made me to desire the evil that he's going to punish me for. How does that make any sense? That's the challenge they have. That's the challenge some of you may have. How do I get out of that? If, if God has made me, if he's created me, I have this desire to do something evil, and he says, if you do that, you're going to be punished for it, even though I, did, I created you to desire it? I think that's absurd, right? I believe the analogy is best put this way. Maybe. God comes to you and you're drowning in the ocean. He looks down. He says, you're drowning. Get out or I'll punish you. And you say, but I can't swim. Help me out. God says, no. That's your problem. But if you continue to drown and if you ruin your life, I will punish you. So then you drown and God punishes you. How about this? Because that doesn't seem fair. Instead, you're drowning. If someone comes along and they say, Take my hand. You're going to drown. Take my hand. You say, no thanks, this is my life. I'll get out of it on my own. Thanks. And they say, but you're drowning. You don't know how to swim. Take my hand, let me help you. You say, oh, no, I'll do it on my own. Then you drown. Does that change the scenario a little bit? Turn to John chapter 3. This will be our last verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. One of the most well-known scriptures, I think, in the entire world today. John 3, verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God sent His Son to say, take my hand. Not to condemn the world, because the, the world's condemned already. We're all condemned already because we've said, no thanks, I'll, I'll handle it on my own. We've rejected the hand that was offered. But God still offers it. And why did He do this? Why, why did He choose to send His Son to die for me? For us. 
because he loves us. Because he wants to show us mercy and he wants to pull us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. To be a people for his own possession so that we might do exactly what he's called us to do. Maybe you find yourself drowning this morning. Maybe you're struggling to figure out how to do what is right in this world, even though you know it. Maybe for some of you, church has become simply something that you do. If that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward this morning. I want to encourage you to to look to a brother or sister in Christ and ask for help. God has an answer to our problems. His name is Jesus. The question is, do you love Him? Do you love Him enough to tell others about Him and to love others? Do you love Him enough to go and make disciples, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us and is continually calling us out of darkness into His marvelous light? Church is in the building. It's us. It doesn't stop when we leave those doors. My prayer is that God can challenge us on an individual level to look in that mirror and possibly for the first time actually see what God sees. If you've obeyed the gospel, if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus, I believe He looks at you and He sees a beloved child. Because you've taken that hand. If you haven't, don't deny it. Come to Him. He wants to help you. He wants to bring you out of that darkness into His marvelous light. And for us together as a church, He's called us to love Him, to love each other, to go and make disciples. If you need prayers this morning, if you need help in any way, we'd love for you to come forward or go to the back. We have people who are willing to pray for you. If you need to obey the gospel, we'd love to help you do that as well. Whatever your need may be, please come as we stand and as we sing.